Good evening, and welcome to The Dark Art, horror with heartfelt appreciation from two lifelong fanatics. My name is Marin Mascaro. And my name is Jake Conrad. The Dark Art is a double bill, and on this episode we're honoring women in horror as we discuss acclaimed films from female directors. First we turn to modern masterpiece, The Babadook, the harrowing tale of a widow and her son who are tormented by a character from a chilling children's book. And then we ask you to join us with The Invitation, a story which drops us off at an uncomfortable dinner party where nothing is quite as innocent as it seems. As a disclaimer, we must warn you that the dark art contains in-depth discourse on the subject of horror films and therefore may contain descriptions of situations deemed frightening, traumatic, and inappropriate for children. And as a secondary warning, addressing the major plot points of these movies doesn't come without major spoilers for the films discussed. So as they say, enter if you dare. Indeed, yes. Women in horror movies. I really liked our theme this time, and I very much enjoyed these two films. I did too. I think our disclaimer is really important with these two movies. If, Of course, these movies came out long enough ago. If you haven't seen them, I, I guess that's your problem at this point, but... There are some really cool twists <laughs> at the end of both these films that if you had heard about them yes. already, I think it actually would spoil both both movies. Indeed. So, yep, again, just, <laughs> you know, secondary, tertiary warnings, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. These both have major twist endings. Turn around now if you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, just press pause, go watch it, come back, and let's talk about it. It's interesting, it's, I was going to say, it's interesting how we came to these movies because we were discussing what we might want to do as a theme, and we can actually thank the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle for guiding us to this theme because I was going through it, and I was at the, the exhibit called Scared to Death, which is their horror movie exhibit, and uh, yes, they have a projector on the wall with different films that say 100 horror films to see before you die, and I just happened to glance over and see The Invitation, which I'd never heard of before, so I took a picture. We discussed it. Here we are. Well, and ironically, I had told you I hadn't seen it, but I had seen it. It took me a, a minute or two to get into that uncomfortable um, party, dinner party that you talked about before I'm like, oh boy, I remember this. And But the second viewing was just as good, in fact better, because I I was able to pick up on some things. So, And the Babadook I'd seen... This would probably be my fourth or fifth time. I absolutely love The Babadook. So, um, let me read through our film synopsis for The Babadook. Um, six years after the violent death of her husband, single mother Amelia struggles to discipline her out-of-control six-year-old Samuel. When a disturbing storybook called The Babadook turns up at their house, Samuel becomes more unpredictable and violent as he insists on the presence of a monster in the house. But when Amelia begins to see glimpses of a sinister being all around her, it slowly dawns on her the thing Samuel has been warning her about may be real. So, full disclosure, I tried to watch this movie several times before I actually was able to get through it all the way. My first attempt was at the beginning of COVID, immediately after my divorce, and at that point in time, this story was just not it. <laughs> I was, was a little concerned about this this story for you, to be honest. I I felt 
really guilty about choosing the Blair Witch Project with your your uh, physical issue with shaky cam. And then I'm, I'm halfway through this after we'd already determined we were doing it. And I'm like, oh, shit. I hope, <laughs> I hope this doesn't. Because, I mean, this thing triggered me and I'm not a single mother. Um, there's just so much in this that's so well done that it, it gets to me every time I watch it. And so I was hopeful that I, that you weren't going to call me right before and say, you know what, we're not doing this. It's a very effective horror story. And a lot of it, a lot of the reason that it's effective is because the isolation element that gets uh, Sam and Amelia kind of away from the rest of the world so that the Duke can attack them is the simple fact of the structure of their family and the fact that it is very difficult and can be very lonely and isolating to be a family of two with a single parent. So that's one of the things about the story that really rang true for me and why I was able to identify with the impending dread. And I think a lot of people can, even if they're not a single parent. Well, um, I, there's so many things in both these movies but especially the Babadook that I think are they happen different because of a woman director. Um, in fact, um, Jennifer Kent, the director um, and writer of the Babadook, which this was her first kind of major film, um, she had done a short that this this movie's based on that had some elements of it. Of, of the Babadook. Uh, it was basically a woman at home with a, a child that was scared of the boogeyman. And, um, I mean, this is so much more than that. But as she was trying to get money for it, um, I guess she was approached, she was trying everything and ended up, like, um, crowdsourcing or doing some different ways to get some of the money. It wasn't a very expensive movie, but um, at one point an American investor... Uh, read the premise, read about it, or maybe even read some of the script, and offered offered all the money that Jennifer would need to make her film, if only, um, and this is spoiler alert, if only the Babadook died at the end of the film. And she said, nope, and ended up getting the money um, in, in different ways, which I think is really interesting that she was so focused on that because of I guess as we get into this what the Babadook represents and and how she was going to end this film um, the other thing I'd read that that she was offered a lot of money to make a sequel and she said nope this movie will never have a sequel it it's ended the way it was supposed to it's over good <laughs> I love that I mean who does that in Hollywood at all at this point yes everybody's kind of a horror very there. few people even our boy rob zombie oh man he said he would never do a sequel to his version of halloween and he did it and i was like dude it's, man it, but you know what he has to have ways to show us that his wife is hot i'm pretty convinced <laughs> that that is part of his motivation to make films yeah i mean and we get it sherry is very hot she is that second movie, though, let's not talk about that. I, I have watched it. I will watch it. But yes. it really misses the mark. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And we love you, Rob. We do. That one's just not our speed. So, some of the the themes of the movie, being a a single mother at home, I mean, basically what happens in the beginning, or or as the story gets fleshed out a little bit, we find out that Amelia, um, her husband, Oscar, I think, dies in a car wreck as they're on their way to the hospital to have Samuel. She's pregnant, ready to have Samuel. And and this now, that was seven years ago, six or seven, I don't know. Samuel's now kind of the kind of kid I like. I I hate boring kids. I don't hate them, but I don't know what to do with them. And, and Samuel is absolutely not boring at all. I love boys. I have four boys. I love everything about Samuel. Every one of my kids have made their own weapons. They've had the biggest imaginations. Everything's a gun. I remember remember at one point, you know, we just let our oh, kids yes. have play guns and stuff. We my uh, sister-in-law was not cool with guns at first and you know, her kids would come over to the house and want to play with my kids toy guns and she's like, "No." And at one point she finally gave up when her kid was like biting his chicken nugget into a gun, into the shape of a gun. Everything was a gun. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's what happens." But <laughs> Uh, so Samuel is like this mix because he's kind of got a lot going on. He's got um, a lot of a lot of energy. He's very imaginative, and he's he, he creates like real weapons. I mean, some of those weapons are awesome, like brutal, and uh, very effective weapons that break windows and what have you. Right, but he has he does have some problems. I mean, growing up. Um, without it, without his father, and and especially since he wants to know so much about his father and his mother, has really um, this movie is largely about grief, and so is like you pointed out um, the invitation, which was kind of a cool coincidence. I, forgetting that I'd even seen it, I didn't put that together until after we'd watched it. So anyway, it's Samuel funny. We said, why don't we just. Because we were first going to go with like a, you know, moody mystery type of theme. And we're, we said, why not go with female directors so we could have two movies with a different vibe? And they had the same vibe and the same central theme. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if they really have the well. same it vibe. A, again, once again, a beautiful. Yeah, it worked perfectly. I would say kind of slow burn dread is the, is yeah, the slow burn vibe that. here. I, I think that. Where they're and they're both really claustrophobic, taking place inside a house that really the characters are in the whole time. So I, I agree with that. I think uh, that house is a terrible house. It's the saddest house I've ever been in. Um, everything's painted dark and gray, and it isn't just it is it isn't creepy. It's just a sad, dark place, especially for a little boy to be raised in. But I mean, let's talk about Amelia a little bit. She is amazing. She's incredible. Not even incredible. his room has much life to <laughs> no. it. No. <laughs> so Samuel's precocious and kind of has some issues. She and is. Amelia is an amazing person. I mean, she's lost her husband. Um, she's working. I love that her job is she's taking care of the elderly, kind of in their final stages of life. She's really a kind person. You, like, what Jennifer Kent does is she makes you absolutely feel for her, which makes the rest of what happens, it's just like a good Stephen King story, 
when you, when you like the character, right when you start loving them, something bad happens, and and that's what happens with Amelia. Oh, I I cried several times during this movie on Amelia's behalf. I just felt so sad for her, and I could empathize and commiserate. I saw a lot of myself in her. Well, <laughs> not I, saying that I'm such a great person, you know. I don't I don't help the elderly and what have you. I should. <laughs> uh, my my job is. Um, is in, within corporate America, but um, well, I, yeah, I just mean Amelia that is a very lovable character. She she's she's funny. She loves Samuel. She really does love Samuel, um, but she's having a hard time. She hasn't really done anything about her her grief for her husband. In fact, all of his stuff is stored away, tucked away in the basement, which makes it so Samuel you know, a little kid like that's just more interested in what his father, who he was. And, and it's really like touching and sad when Samuel is down there playing in the basement and has like taken out his father's suit and hung it. So it looks like his dad's down there and he's playing with his stuff and looking at the pictures. And she's so upset about it because she doesn't want to even think about this husband who's passed, but it's, that whole thing was pretty emotional, I think. I agree. And I believe another thing that the emotional part really set up well was for the entrance of the book. For, you know, the we already have our characters who appear to be in a vulnerable situation, and in comes the Babadook. Which, by the way, this book, major scary stories to tell in the dark vibes. Yeah. I remember when I had, when I first got those books when I was a kid, and it was, it was kind of how I feel about horror in general. I was so scared, but I couldn't stop. <laughs> I just loved the feeling. I read a review. Every single page turn with all those horrifying, <laughs> horrifying illustrations. More, and I, and I was like, I was looking at it and say, oh, this is awful. This spider crawling out of this girl's face. I'm so scared. What's on the next page? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I, and uh, I, I no. kind of had, had that same experience as Amelia was reading the story. As she was turning the page, I was like, when's he coming in? Well, when can I see the Babadook? Yeah. It's a pop-up book, so that's <laughs> those are worse. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. but I read a review, and one of the, I can't remember who it was from, I think, but uh, a guy said that he's like, as I was watching this, I had this memory of, of when my child sitting down and reading a book that I'd never vetted first, I didn't know anything about, to my child. And it got scarier and scarier and worse and worse. And he's like, and I kept just like hoping it wasn't going to take a turn to continue to be scary. And my kid's looking at me like, is this cool? Are we, are we doing this? And he's like, I felt trapped. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in this book too. She starts reading it and before you know it, she goes... She, she realizes how dark and terrible this is. I mean, it starts out kind of like a children's book. I mean, it's they, they use the same little rhymes and, and the words coming down the page. It looks like a kid's book, but it's not okay. I mean, you're not... Even the scary no, stories it, have the... It is not okay. <laughs> no, it's not okay. So the Babadook, all we know about it, it's something that if it gets in your house... Um, and I don't remember the wording in the book, but it, it basically, once it's in, it 
it's hard to get out. I know that they talk about that. I, I wish I had some of the text from the book. I, I That would have been more helpful. But I did hear that they made a bunch of copies of this book, and, and they were signed, and uh, people purchased them. And I'm like, that would be so cool to have that. I wish I had that book. Yes, I read that too, and I thought to myself, man, what a missed opportunity. I'd love to have that. But then my my kid, who is obsessed with Halloween, would want to read it, and then I would have that same feeling. Like, uh, I can't, can't do this one right now. We're good. So the Babadook, basically, once they read the book, it starts a series of what we, and this is the coolest part of this movie, is you don't know if this is all happening psychological uh, this is a psychological thing happening just in Amelia's mind or if it's some kind of supernatural thing and and I had I read that and I totally agree that this movie is a lot like The Shining where you have uh, you know the hotel they have just their house that they're kind of trapped in and you but the I guess um, for some reason this movie the timing of it and its release timing and stuff made it ineligible for any kind of oscar nod but i think that was a huge shame i think that there should have been for both for samuel and for amelia um for their the actors playing this little six-year-old kid actor was incredible and I thought she should have oh, yes. won. She she could have won an Oscar for her performance, even though they don't like giving those to horror movie very often. To <laughs> say we've talked about this before, and it's we talked shame. about it with Carrie, and I I mean, we've had some incredible performances come out of horror movies, like Florence Pugh in Midsummer and yep. Tony Collette in. Everything, everything. Uh, the, yes. Lupita Nyong'o in in Us. Yep. All of these people deserve to be recognized, and they weren't. And uh, this act, this actress, she deserved consideration as well. And it just didn't happen. But hey, we're here, and we're here to tell her that she was wonderful. We admire this performance, and it was so layered. Yeah. And like I said, one of the reasons that I could identify with this woman so much is because she goes through so many different emotions as as a woman as a parent, as someone who's struggling with a very difficult situation. She shows anger and despair, love shining through all of it. It was a mesmerizing performance. I was really quite in awe of both of the leads in this movie. So, Especially for, a, yeah, a six-year-old boy. Amazing. And I did read that... Um, Jennifer Kent was really concerned. She she had said at one point, making a movie is not a good enough reason to to totally mess up a kid. I mean, so she shot so many of the parts where later on, you know, just to spoil this movie completely for whoever might watch it, the Babadook gets in, and it, the gateway is reading the book. But it, the gateway is really the whole situation. Um, for the mother and the son in this trapped in this house and as things start to get worse and worse at some point the Babadook enters into Amelia um, and becomes um, basically she's possessed with the Babadook or she's having a psychological break where she thinks she's the Babadook whatever however you want to read that and at that point you're 
you, you were so um, concerned. Uh, the first part of it, you, your heart goes out to her. But for the rest of the movie, you're terrified of her and you're terrified for Samuel. And it feels like when Jack Nicholson's chasing down Danny in the hotel for the rest of the movie. And it's, it is intense. It's ugly. And in fact, uh, a few women approached Jennifer Kent after some of the screenings and said, this is, this is terrible. No woman would ever be threatened to be violent or be violent with their child. Um, not a good person. And, and then many other women came up and said, I'm so glad that you showed the realistic feeling of how you can feel being alone with a child who's, you know, doing things that they shouldn't. And I mean, there, even if you don't act on it, to ignore that there's a feeling there sometimes, I know I felt with my four boys, you know, um, in, uh, for different reasons it's and true. different times. It's not something that anyone really addresses or talks about, that this does happen, and I think she shows it incredibly. And that's part of the gut punch of it, too, because I know I've had those moments where I've been angry, and yes, not acted on it, but felt that rage inside, and to see Essie Davis as Amelia acting it out, it was a gut punch, because it... <laughs> It takes you right back to that moment when you felt that anger. And then you think, and it's shocking and jarring because you think to yourself, she just said the thing you don't say out loud. Right. <laughs> there was one part in particular where I didn't really know how to react because on one hand, it was the sickest burn I've ever heard in my life. But on the other hand, you don't deliver the sickest burn of your life to a six-year-old, you know? <laughs> it was the part where he was, she was... She was sleep deprived and she was having a really rough time and just struggling. She's trying to pull the blanket over and he's saying, Mommy, I'm hungry. I just can't find any food. There's nothing in the fridge. Mommy, I'm just so hungry. And then she gets up and turns around and yells at him, If you're so hungry, why don't you go eat shit? <laughs> and I was gobsmacked. I'm sitting there on the couch. I kind of felt like I fell through the floor. I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute. Because the soldier his, in me wants to be like, bro, sick burn. But the mother in me was how devastating. Was sick to my stomach. So. Right. The exactly. the only the only good thing is is somehow Jennifer Kent wrote and directed this to where there's still glimpses of Amelia's um, her goodness. They're still there. I mean, here's a person that are, before any of this happened. Was our was such a kind person. I mean, she helped the next door neighbor. She was kind to the people in the in the at her job. She, even the guy, kind of the goofy loser guy that was interested in her, she was still nice to him. Oh, Mister Friendzone. Yeah, Mister Friendzone. She was still kind to him. And there's some humor in all of it. There's even humor in in that scene that you're talking about. But she doesn't become Jack Nicholson, and we don't. She's not there anymore. Like like um, like Jack Nicholson becomes when he goes completely psycho. He's gone. In in this case, it's almost yes. even worse because there's still glimpses, and she, and it's all the acting in her eyes and in her reactions where she's horrified at what she's doing, and she's trying to fight these feelings, whether it's from possession again or just her doing it. And and the kid, this is it's suddenly kind of like. In it, before you're like thinking this little shit like in the beginning of the movie you're like oh this little shit you know he needs 
some real disciplined boundaries i don't know what and then it transitions to where you are he his precociousness his like tendency to make weapons suddenly it's like the home alone but on crack where he like shoots her with an arrow and like hits her with like a croquet ball i think like it's like home alone but it's like you're like thank goodness this kid rocks man exactly when i was talking to the person i watched this with and when he started doing that i said that very thing i said and now we move into the home alone portion of the movie yep but honestly nightmare on elm street walked so home alone and the babadook could run because yeah. the original booby trap house was Nancy setting yeah. it up for Freddy Krueger. That's true. <laughs> so and I mean, you love the ingenuity because I always I, I keep thinking to myself because my daughter has a lot of practical skills and she's very very she's ingenious when it comes to figuring out things around the house like she has found a way around every lock i've ever put up every gate i ever put up when she was a toddler so i i think to myself all the time when i see these kind of kids i can't show her any of these movies because she's gonna do this type of stuff (laughs) (laughs) you might need to wait on on this one a little bit this one is so oh yeah Oh. Well, I would obviously I would never show my six-year-old child Nightmare on Elm Street or The Babadook, but I'm also holding off on Home Alone for that same reason. <laughs> Even though I think I saw Home Alone when I was six or seven, but <laughs> the director of The Exorcist, which has shares a lot of these themes, it's more you know a mother who's worried about her child, what something's happening to her child. And, and so you have that same idea, the same theme. Um, he said this was the... He's never seen a more terrifying film than The Babadook, which I think, you know, he was... He captured that so well in The Exorcist, the feeling of um, the mother, what can I do to save my child? Um, in this case, you get that toward the end when she starts fighting this the the evil of the Babadook fighting the possession um of course Samuel's helping by beating the tar out of her with all his home alone weapons but uh she and tying her up tying her up and but it 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 works in the way that she's able to then fight it and uh and and that comes I mean I don't know if we're ready to talk about the end of the movie the the twist but this is where I think that, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think a woman director, I think a guy probably would want a showdown where the creature is mutilated and murdered. I mean, we see it all the time in almost every other horror movie that must be written by many, written by men. Maybe uh, tell me what you thought about the ending and, and maybe describe kind of what happens that's different in this one. So, I think the popular discourse around this movie is that with Amelia's dealing with her possession, it's the, she goes through the five stages of grief. She starts with denial, which is what the Babadook taunt is all about. 
you know, they have the they have that little rhyme that says cuz if it's a, if it's in a word or it's in a book, you can't get rid of the Babadook. You can't get rid of the Babadook saying, you know, essentially that taunt, you can't get rid of me. It's I'm always going to be here. The harder you fight me, the stronger I get. So that's her denial phase. And then of course, you know, then she moves into anger. And then she moves into bargaining. And then she moves into the depression. We see her go through all these very dark periods, just, you know, moving through it. But the end is her acceptance. And that's, and that's shown by her actually not killing the monster. She doesn't defeat the monster. She moves the monster into the basement and she <laughs> attends to it. She feeds it every single day. It lives there with her husband's possessions. It's and I so think good. That is so amazing. The power of the metaphor, especially because she's feeding it worms, which a lot of people associate with graves and death and things mm -hmm. of that nature, is that it shows her finally coming to terms yeah. with the grief that's been holding her back. That's been, you know, weighing on her heart, affecting her social relationships, affecting her relationship with her sister, affecting her relationship most of all with her son. And I liked at the end when she's talking to the social workers and they're trying to get Sam back in school and she just supportively puts her arm around him and says, we had some things to sort out. <laughs> and that's where the, there's a humor aspect throughout the whole thing like that. Some of those lines are just great. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think, and, and again, I'm just speculating. I don't know. I can't say I know anything about women or men, but... I think it was interesting that usually there's tropes in all these movies and we I've seen enough horror movies to know when know when something's coming. So a, a, a normal trope, the kind next door neighbor, the old lady who's concerned, she usually gets killed. Almost always that character I was, gets toast. Right? I was absolutely waiting for it. Yeah, because that's what happens normally. But she didn't. And again, she was probably kept alive so that we could continue to remember Amelia as she was, kind and a good person, because that's how this woman saw her. She would kept checking in, saying, this, you're not okay, you know, I'm worried about you. And, and that just helped us remember she has not been like this. Um I mean, the dog dying... A lot of people are never going to forgive <laughs> Amelia for that dog, though. Oh, there we go. I can Same tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love dogs. And usually, like, if the dog dies, I'm out, you know, normally. In this movie, the only thing I can say is I, I have to... Because the other option right then is, is Samuel, who I, I love kids slightly more than dogs. If you don't love kids slightly more than dogs, maybe skip this show, because... A dog dies, but it you uh, yep. it, and it's terrible. That's a terrible scene. It is a horrifying scene. It will pull your heart out. But again, I'm right with you. If the if the op, if the other option is Samuel, then sorry, Bugsy, you gotta go. <laughs> yeah, and the dog kind of was protective and helpful so many times that it's even worse. But so yeah, I didn't love that scene, but it. It raised the stakes. Well, and let's 100%. not forget the book. 
the book showed us all of this as foreshadowing. True. In those very creative pop-ups, it showed <laughs> Amelia murdering the dog. Yeah. Then it showed Amelia murdering Sam. Then it showed Amelia cutting her own throat. Yep. So, I mean, after the first event came to pass, I cannot tell you the just cloud of dread that fell over my chest. It's like, she is going to kill that boy. The other thing and I I'm like... So glad she didn't. Is that they didn't have a bunch of dumb jump scares. I mean, I, I don't mind a good jump scare. There's that tingle. It's fun. It's like, whoo. But it's so overused. I mean, some of the... the James Wan, like, um, has so many of, of them that sometimes they get overused. In fact, I think it was Mike Flanagan doing uh, Fear Street or something. He, he tried to break the record for how many jump scares were in that movie. And what it does is it makes it almost like they, they're not effective at all. In this movie, there really aren't that many. It's, it, there's, it's, it's a pretty quiet movie. Um, and it just makes it all the worse. I think it makes it, everything's going on then in your mind. Um, th there are some startling and scary things from the Babadook, but nothing like you'd expect with a show like this. I don't think. Yes. And one other thing that I really liked about, I guess the quality of scares, even when we saw the Babadook, it wasn't a really big in your face kind of moment. It was only for but a couple of seconds. And then he jumped into Amelia. And that's it. We we don't really see the Babadook all that much. He's more of a feeling. Yeah. Which I guess is appropriate for the theme of this movie. And really, I mean, even though we're stuck in that house for the most of the part, so you think, okay, get out of the house. Well, even when they did leave, it, he, the Babadook's presence was seen in that terrible scene in the car. And uh, you just, it's hopeless at that point. You might as well go home. And that's when she starts to break more and more. Um, the worst part in the whole movie, I think, one of the worst scenes was when the Babadook takes the form of her dead husband. And again, like you're saying, the stages of grief, there's no bargaining. There's no, there's nothing she can do at that point. She's going to have to accept either. She can accept this is my husband and I'm going to take this lie in, or this is, I have to admit that he's gone. And, and she was able to do that. Yeah. And she won't get rid of the Babadook. The book is right. And that's why the end is so incredible. Because she's figured out a way to live with him. Have you seen The Nightingale, her, her follow-up, or her second movie after this one? Um, Jennifer Kent? As usual, my answer is no, but I would so, love to see it. Yeah, so it's a revenge movie, but it has a, it's a very strong woman character. It's centered on a woman character, um, a female character, and it's... Uh, it's a period piece that takes place in like New Zealand or so somewhere, you know, I think um, Jennifer Kent's from Australia. It's incredible. It's an, it's a really good movie and it has some of the similar um, themes, but it's just so much more rich and open and big than this movie. This movie's perfect for what it is, don't get me wrong, but I, I definitely recommend it. It it has some brutal scenes in it. It's some hard, there's some hard things going on, but it's a great show. So, if I definitely throw it on your list. 
Fantastic. Should we move on to the invitation? I think so. Yep. All right. Well, the synopsis of the invitation. After their marriage is destroyed by a family tragedy, Will and Eden divorce and fall out of touch. After two years, Will and his new girlfriend, Kira, accept an invitation to a dinner hosted by his ex-wife and her new partner. As the evening unfolds, Will becomes increasingly fearful and can't shake his feelings of paranoia that the pair have sinister plans for their party guests. So you, uh, you love this director. Oh, Karin Kasama? Fantastic. Um, as we discussed, she also did Jennifer's Body, which we mentioned in one of our earlier podcasts about Megan Fox. Fantastic, very ahead of its time. And then she did another movie, which I love back in the day, called Girl Fight as well with Michelle Rodriguez. So, And that kind of started yes. Michelle's career, I think. It did. And yeah. I think uh, Karin Kasama is a very strong director. I have never disliked anything that I've seen from her. So, And this was no exception. I really liked this movie. I, I thought that... Uh, a lot of times in a in a dinner party kind of situation, especially with a suspense or horror movie, I have a hard time liking a lot of the characters or, or kind of um, seeing eye to eye with them or feeling like I could be one of the characters. And at first glance, I felt that way about this group of people. I mean, they're, they're all really attractive and hip and... I, I don't know. Yuppie idiots. Yeah, is that is that how <laughs> you felt about them? That's yeah. how I felt about <laughs> them. But I agree with you. They are they are attractive and hip, yeah. and they are the kind of people who would never want to associate with the likes of me. <laughs> but they're not completely vapid. Is the thing that helps the movie. Um, so basically, a little bit about the movie. Um, we have um, the main character is Will, and. He has he and his girlfriend are going to this party, and right away, they, there's a foreshadowing event where they hit a coyote and injure it, and Will ends up finishing the coyote off, mercy, you know, showing some mercy with a tire iron. With a tire iron, but then gets blood, you know, spattered on his face, and it's a pretty brutal scene. And that's how this begins before they even get to the party. So great foreshadowing there and showing kind of the type of person Will is too. Um, and then they get there and, and there's a pretty eclectic group, I think. I thought it was a good, um, a good mix of different people there. It seemed like it was a very realistic friend group. You had a bunch of different personalities, but not so different that you didn't believe that these people would hang out together. Yep, and so what we find out is that this home used to be shared by Will and his ex, uh, Eden, and now they've separated, and um, and now she's with another dude, uh, David, who's, I guess, kind of, he used to be a, like a coked-up record executive or whatever, some kind of drug, uh, he had a lot of drug issues, but he's going clean now. And uh, and then the movie slowly starts to tell you that one of the I guess the reason for their breakup was that they lost a child. Um, again, which fits so perfectly with the Babadook that feeling of grief, right? Yes, 
And it's very clear from, from the very beginning that Will is there out of some sort of obligation to that grief. You can tell he's not over it. He's definitely still feeling very strong and very passionate feelings about the death of his son. And as we see his interactions with Eden, who, you know, at least at the beginning, appears to have made her way to the acceptance phase. Mm -hmm. She's calm and she's very ethereal and seems like an Earth Mother type. And you can see the resentment almost immediately. And I kept questioning to myself why Will would stay. Why he would continue to put himself through this hell at this dinner party that he's that he's very clearly in, even before things go terribly, terribly south. And it's because he feels a duty to his grief. At least that's what I think. Yeah, I, I thought like about that too. He feels like he needs to be there to help the road to closure. At least that's what I thought. What did you think? Well, I also think that pretty quickly, I'm guessing the way that they, you know, and we, we see a little bit, but the way that they ended their relationship was that they just couldn't move on from the death of this child. They couldn't deal with grief, and so their relationship um, ended. And so I think that getting back in that home and seeing her, and in initially she seems like she's healed, like you said. She's like she's in a, in a good place. So maybe he then thought, I want that. I, I maybe he wanted to see what had helped her to move on where the, together they couldn't do that. I, I wondered about that, I guess. Indeed. But it doesn't take long for her to get, as one of the couples there put it, very Manson-y, quote-unquote. It, it, moves, it moves from Earth Mother to Manson Girl real fast. Yeah, the... Well, you start to meet a couple of new characters that aren't, you, you, you hear, are not part of this original friend group. And these people are weird. I mean, there's the, the gal who's kind of just psycho to me. I, I don't know, like, what her personality really was. Very open. I, I guess that she was um, kind of pitched as a sexual partner for uh, the his what are their names uh eden and david it, it, it's like we met yes. her in mexico and we've been having fun ever since or something you know but she she definitely there's not something not right about her and then my well i of, thought she was probably a direct reference to the manson girls because her name yeah. is sadie oh there so you go. i thought oh well this is this is susan atkins you know like we've got we've got a direct charles manson reference here well, and and please then, continue. Well, then Pruitt, the 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 guy who, the same actor that was the Zodiac killer in Zodiac. I mean, right away, I'm like, I I've never been. I think he was on Drew Carey at one point, but I can never go back and watch him and Drew Carey without thinking, no, no, he's the Zodiac killer. <laughs> so when whenever yeah. I see him now, I'm sorry. <laughs> if I saw him in the grocery he's store, I would just leave. So. <laughs> yep, he's permanently branded himself. There's no going back from that. No, and he... This he, guy's up to no good. That's <laughs> what I always think when I see him now. <laughs> and it's true. He's up to no good. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of a Manson vibe. This party turns into uh, 
there's a what is what do you call the the video like a it's kind of a brainwashing uh-huh. type of video that, they that turns into a snuff film yeah so they they have they start showing this it's almost like we're going to invite you to our religion or to our almost like a multi-level marketing where if I saw it I'd go oh shit no I don't want to and I think it's funny because some of the folks are like no we don't want to see we don't want any kind of pitch here you know and they're like no 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 let us show you something and you know oh, having, that's not what this is we yeah. just want you to be part of what we're part of and I have to laugh a little at myself, having been a, a missionary for the Mormon Church. To you know, you go into people's homes and you you get to know them a little bit, and then you're like, "Well, let's start to share our message." And so many times that people are like, "No, let's just not do that." And I would just laugh and go, "Okay, you know." <laughs> I mean, that's kind of why we're here, and that you know that. But if you don't want that, then what do you want to talk? You know, it, it was always kind of awkward and funny, but. I get it, you know, so if you don't want it, See, that's but that's cool. the difference. They said, they said they weren't interested and you stopped. These people kept pressing. Well, and the, there was a lot of creepy things going on, like, and Will was on edge. I think when he, he saw that his, that there was some uh, meds that his ex was taking, he, he started to think, Oh, yeah, hey, phenobarbital, yeah. which is right schedule four controlled substance when i worked at the vet clinic we had to lock that up yeah so he's like this she's not in in a good place with grief she's drugged to the gills and then with will keeping he keeps locking the door from the inside with a key that ain't right you know uh not not will i'm sorry that was uh david straight up call I yeah. thought it was so interesting the way that everyone kept gaslighting and manipulating Will because he yeah. straight up called David on it. Why right. are you locking the door? Why are there bars on the windows? But, and everyone's like, Will, you're just being so weird. You're the problem. And I thought that was really well done because <laughs> it 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 didn't get ridiculous for a little while. At first, you're, in fact, when the one friend, Claire, I think, wanted to leave early... You're like, yeah. Okay, she wants to leave early, but they don't want to let her, and and so Will's like, you have to let her leave. So she goes, and then Pruitt, the Zodiac killer, goes, "Hey, let me come out with you. I got to move my car." You're like, going, "Oh, she's dead. She's definitely dead." Yep. But then it looks like she leaves, and then the the big the big thing that Will was really concerned about was uh Choi is that I think that was his name yeah Choi um, Choi was supposedly um should have shown up by now and now he's thinking that he did show up I think he gets a voicemail or something he, he should have shown up he did show up and where is he and then come to find out Choi shows up and he says yeah I had a problem so the whole thing I mean it, it makes you feel it like, seems maybe, like maybe Will might be nuts. Yeah, it makes you feel like, yeah, maybe I'm nuts, maybe Will's nuts, but something's not still right about all this. Um, really effective. But you know what? We had, to know, we had to know that Will was on the right track because this, this whole group of people, on a scale of one to Bram Stoker's Dracula cast, these people were like a full 9.5 horny. All of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what? What are these people doing? I'm like, I know this is a horror movie, so it's not going to take that turn, but it sure seems like it. Yeah. Especially like, with that woman, Sadie. Yeesh. Even after the snuff film, it's like nobody calmed down even yeah. after that. 
But yeah, it yep, just feels that, like people are like, "Hey, let's do some coke," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the wine at the, so I, I I guess the movie poster was the uh, showed the people framed around a big wine glass, which kind of you know spoiler alert um, is is the shocking well the first shocking ending is that yes this is a cult and they want to basically they want people to kill themselves i think voluntarily or to go to no kind they of, want to achieve transcendence oh i forgot yeah no you're right it is like multi-level marketing there's some catchphrases that i don't know but the moment the guy on that video said that he was looking to achieve transcendence that's when i knew i'm like okay this is a cult nobody uses that word except cult leaders transcendence that's the only way that's the only people who use that word. i didn't even use that when i was a missionary so you're right i would that's that was a good tell <laughs> uh, but so that dread that you're feeling throughout it finally pays off to where it becomes true horror where uh zodiac i'm just gonna call him zodiac sorry sir yep and uh sadie i mean they basically start attacking the guests and killing them uh, with a gun and a knife and oh and but first isn't uh, he says don't drink the wine I think Will said feels like something's yep. going on don't drink the wine and then I can't remember who drinks it you know beautiful beautiful misdirect in this scene yeah so as you said everybody's about ready to do the toast Will freaks out he starts smacking the wine glasses out of people's hand yelling don't drink the wine Sadie rushes him. He pivots from her and she and kind of shoves her to the side and she ends up hitting her head on a side table and yeah. going unconscious for a moment. So one of the characters is some sort of medical professional. We don't really know. It seems like he's a doctor. He yeah. starts working on Sadie and then all of a sudden we hear she's not breathing. And he says, yes, she is. And then they say, no, Gina, the one Gina. person who drank from the wine is now foaming at the mouth and glassy eyed. Yeah. Beautiful. It was really cool. Beautiful moment right there. <laughs> and then I think after that, it becomes a movie we've seen before where the bad guys, like in Strangers, and that they are uh, now hunting the, the survivors down, and they're trying to use their their everything at their fingertips to survive. And and so and they just it, start brutally murdering everybody yeah. and it happens so that turn happens so fast which i think is really realistic it is and I, but i also think that it it it, be, it starts as a movie we recognize it then at that point it turns into something we've seen many times the big clincher the big twist comes after all the everybody the is dead basically and the the hero's still alive and and safe and this twist is... Uh, oh, man. That last 60 seconds comes at you like a chair to the back of the head. Uh, you know, the I more know. I thought about it, I'm like, this. there's no way this could happen. But it didn't matter. You feel like you, you just dropped like eight floors immediately when you recognize it. Even if, you, even if it is far-fetched that it could happen. So, um, basically... Yes. The fact... Oh, go on. I was going to say, basically, David, at one point, when when it's on and they're murdering the guests, he lights, what is it, a red 
lantern. A red lantern. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, so after all the killings done and the survivors walk outside, out back, they look and across the Hollywood hill, hills, um, there's red lights in, in every home almost. There's a red light lit up yep. showing that this wasn't so this we... isolated, like, one home that yep. was so suffocating. This is the whole, you know, at least it of Hollywood. It was a coordinated effort. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant way to explain away why nobody would notice gunshots, screaming, yeah. breaking glass, because it's happening everywhere. Uh, a somewhat, you know, like... I don't know. I'm trying to think of how I felt about this moment. Conflicted, I guess. After Eden has given herself a gut shot, which, by the way, what a terrible way to go. Worst, <laughs> worst place to shoot yourself, I would think, if you worst, want to die. Worst place to shoot yourself ever if you want to die. Right. But she's still alive after, after Will and Kira have managed to get away from David and Pruitt. And she asks Will to take her outside. And it appears to be, now I can't be sure because they only showed it very briefly, but it appears to be the same spot where their son died is where Will lays her uh, so then she can die. I didn't realize that, but yeah, I think you're right. Which is, at and that at point... One, on one hand, it was really kind and merciful of Will. Who, by the way, is the only person at the end of the movie who isn't a murderer. <laughs> Unless yeah. we want to count the coyote. No, that was not his fault. <laughs> I'm not going to call yeah. him a murderer for that. Um, so, so yeah, he lays Eden down so she can die in the same place where their son died. And then he joins hands with Kira. And that's when we get to drop eight floors when we see the rest of the Red Lanterns. <laughs> So what very um, fight club esque moment. Yeah. What what is the what aspects of this show did you feel like made it uniquely, you know, directed by a woman? I tried to think through that a little bit. Um, the relationships within seem more seem realistic. I think that there's that there there might have been some help there. And I think dealing with the grief of a child, um, similar to dealing with mother motherhood in the Babadook there might have been some well like I mentioned there. before one thing that I have definitely discussed with other female friends is you know how how infuriating it is to feel like you're being gaslit or manipulated knowing that something's wrong and being told you're just crazy that is something that I know that a lot of women have struggled with. So I feel like that would be... The fact that it was so effective... That tactic was so effectively used against Will for so long throughout the entire event. Mm -hmm. It made me think that a female director could be very informed about that. Hmm. Or, or I mean, maybe I, at one point this, the, this was... Um, it was Eden who was coming to the party. I, I thought about that too, because it felt similar. Like you said, like it could have gone that direction and it would have, it would have felt, um, the, the gaslighting would have felt 
almost maybe too on the nose. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why they they changed it around a little bit. But um, I guess Kusama's is that how you say her name? Kusama, her last name. Yes. Um, her husband wrote this film, and she directed it, and they. Um, they got backing in a way that they didn't have to do anything the studio wanted. So they had full um, artistic control over this. And I think that's what made it kind of exciting and special and not the same old bullcrap. And, and when I say same old bullcrap, I love watching horror movies. I'll watch them all anyway. I don't care. But I think one thing that was pointed out in one review is you don't have a bunch of 20-year-old kids in this. These are older people, which doesn't really happen a lot in horror movies. It's usually the young, sexy 20-year-olds that, that are kind of harder to relate to for someone old like me. So even though these were all beautiful, beautiful people that were all, you know, yuppies and, and all that, they still were a little more relatable, especially what was the schlub guy's name? Ben. I'm like oh, that. Ben? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like Ben's. Like they threw that guy in just so I'd have somebody. That I'm like, yeah, that, that guy's a loser. <laughs> but uh, oh well, you know, it's, that's the character that I related to most of all. I'm like, oh, Ben's a slob, just yeah. like me. That's yep. me. <laughs> like they almost didn't invite Ben. I'm thinking, and that's probably me. So. <laughs> You know, another thing that I noticed about this movie that I think is kind of atypical for horror films that we usually watch is that the very traumatic events, we didn't get to see them head on. Like, we knew the son was dead, but we had to put it together. We didn't see the little yeah. boy laying on the ground in a pool of blood. We saw Eden attempt suicide, but we didn't see it all that much. We saw a brief flash of a cut on her wrist with some glass. We saw Will fighting her away from the sink, and that's it. Yep. You know, there wasn't a lot of, I don't know, I guess it left more to the imagination. And I think so. that's, I think that's a really effective dread builder to think, what would that look like? What a nightmare. It's every parent's nightmare to lose a child. It's every, it's every, you know, woman's nightmare to lose her husband as you're about to bring a child into the world. I mean, both of these traumatic events seem very well crafted to be a nightmarish event that would give you trouble for the rest of your life. Well, and it asks that question, what would you do to avoid or heal from grief? I mean, how far would you go? In the Babadook, you would invite a presence into yourself to try to help you avoid grief in this movie i mean that recruitment video and what they've all gone through and and how, what other people had gone through um it sometimes you do things or you have things happen in your life that the last thing you want to do is confront it and deal with it and the idea of finding a group that gives you an answer no matter how terrible that answer is it, it it it's believable it really is and you know upon reflection the peace that eden seems to be radiating at the beginning of the movie might not be a put on because i've read 
and through my own experiences with with my you know with my own struggles that I've had and and various people that I've known one thing that I've been told is that a lot of times when people decide that they're done and they're going to end their own life all of a sudden the pain is gone because they know the end is in sight and maybe that's what Eden was showing us I don't know like I said I am not a mental health professional this is just strictly anecdotal but I believe it well I thought both these movies were great movies. Um, I, I feel like the invitation um, I had a harder time relating to just because of the the lifestyle of these folks. Um, it it was never not interesting to me, um, but I definitely related more to the Babadook being a parent and and whatnot but i i think both of these were examples of some of the better horror movies to come out in the last i think they came out around in 14 or 15 i think 2014 or 15 they're some of the better movies that came out around that time and a lot of people missed them i would hope that people listening to this would go all right you might have spoiled them damn you but i'm gonna go watch this show and it's worth watching for sure (laughs) Well, so we don't end on a heavy note. I would like to share one more story from the Museum of Pop Culture because as I was taking the picture of the the invitation on the wall, my daughter had kind of absentmindedly wandered into the back corner of the exhibit where they have all the zombie stuff. And there was a woman there who was standing in front of the tank with all the zombie heads. I guess it was, uh, it's part of the Walking Dead. Hmm. And she was standing there gazing into this tank and Shoshana just kind of like kind of backed into her and this woman jumped out of her skin. (laughs) (laughs) And she turned around and she saw, you know, my sweet little daughter there and she was so relieved, but her shoulders were shaking. And then I walked up and I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, I'm just so scared right now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And, and And I'm like, well... (laughs) mission accomplished right yes awesome (laughs) and that's a wrap for tonight's episode of the dark art we hope you've enjoyed our look at the work of women in horror as much as we have we sincerely appreciate you letting us add a bit of darkness to your day until next time friends (laughs) 